0: we're uh we're in the second week of a series it's called born again and it's this kind of look a fresh look at the gospel of john the third chapter and if you weren't here last week we got a chance we we were we're, we're kind of taking a different look at this i guess or just a real look at it. i mean a lot of us say we know it but we haven't really uh, maybe prayed or thought much about it read it studied it but last week i introduced you to a guy named nicodemus right now nicodemus the, the bible says a few things about nicodemus okay and i want we're gonna do two things here we're talking about John 3, where we're talking about this experience of Nicodemus, because I think it's fascinating to watch Nicodemus' life. Nicodemus was a, um, a Pharisee and a, and a member of the Jewish ruling council, right? So we talked about that last week, that, that Nicodemus was this dude who was like, you know, according to the people, he was holy, he was uh, knowledgeable of the things of God, he was a holy man, and he was a ruler. But I want to share with you today uh, the next leg of this, the journey that Nicodemus is on, and um, you don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to read you. I want you to hear the word again. We're going to study some of the scripture today, but I want you to hear this. Because you see, what's interesting is we hear Nicodemus basically talks to Jesus, and Jesus responds with this reality that he has to be born again. I mean, this is Nicodemus, like, and we kind of picked on him last week. Like, how would he hear that from Jesus? He's 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 the guy who would know how God works. But I want to walk these three weeks through with Nicodemus, and I want you to see what happens in the next encounter that we have in Scripture about Nicodemus, and and it comes here in the seventh chapter. I'm going to start reading in uh, verse um, 37. Just hear the word with me. On the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By the way, I want to stop here real quick, and I'm not preaching yet. I just want to share the story. But this, you remember last week in, in J- John 3, Jesus was coming to Jerusalem for the Passover, right? You remember what Passover is about? We have communion. You remember what Passover is about? It's about remembering that God delivered his people from the hands of, of the Egyptians, from the slaveholders. He set them free in a mighty way by a display of power, and the Jews were remember that as Jesus did but here he's coming in for another feast he's going to Jerusalem again and this is called the feast of tabernacles why I, I wanted to share this with you because I thought of team Kenya because the way you would celebrate the feast of tabernacles is you would you would build a really rickety structure a really junky building something that had four walls but here was the key it had to have a a natural roof like leaves or, or palm fronds or something like that. And as I watched the video of Kenya, and they built this hut, this mud hut, and you might think, well, the mud, that's the weirdest thing to build a home out of for, for the mother of this missionary, of this mission group here in the rock ministries for Elaine. Th- 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 those were the most solid things that she has, right? The roof is actually like thatch. It's just like this, you know, stuff that grows on trees on a frame, and what the Jews would do is they would go and they would celebrate and they would live in these rick, rick, you know, rickshaw, like, shacks for seven days. And you know why they did this? Does anybody know why they did this? Because they didn't want to forget that not only did God deliver them from the hands of their oppressor, but while they were in the desert wandering around, exposed to the elements that he sheltered them in their weakness, then in these times of trial, in the times of on the journey, now hear this, on the journey, that, that, that God p- preserved them. You see, because the Jews had gone and become very, pro- uh, very profitable, very wealthy, and they had nice homes. I recently read a book about a guy who was trying to practice this, and, and he lived in a really nice uh, apartment in New York, and so he pitched a tent in his living room. Kind of cheating, because he wasn't really exposed to the elements, right? Maybe if gone on the roof, he would have actually had the experience of the feast of tabernacles. Well, here's and look at what the word says. I, if 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 anyone starts to let him come to me and drink, Jesus is referring here to how Moses was able to provide nourishment, water, food in the desert by God's hand, right? So, look in verse 39. By this saying, Jesus meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive living water church that's for us up to that point the spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified on hearing these words some of the people said surely this man is a prophet now listen to verse 41 while others said he is the Christ this is title this is Messiah he's the guy we've been waiting for he's the real deal we're right here he's right here and this is it this is kingdom of God stuff So some of them said, he is the Christ. Still others asked, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, house of bread, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided, divided because of Jesus the Christ. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Okay, this is fine. Here's the next part of the story. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests, right? And the, the Pharisees, who then asked them, Why did you not bring him in with you? They were sent there to take him custody. And this is their response. No one has ever spoke the way this man speaks. The Pharisees. Do you mean that he has deceived you also? They retorted. That's a great thing. Has any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob out there who knows nothing of the law... there's a curse on them. Look at the next line. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, and who was one of their own number? Wait, go back. Here's the question the Pharisees ask. Did, Did he deceive you? Has any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed? Have any of us believed his story? And Nicodemus, who was there, who went to Jesus at night and asked this question, says this, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? And they replied, What, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will see that a prophet does not come from Galilee. I I want to mention this as we begin opening John 3 again, because I want you to realize that Nicodemus isn't this kind of one-off character in the Bible, this moment in time where we have this profound truth that Jesus teaches about being born again. But he's this real, living, breathing, seeking, interested, following, discovering person of God. And here in the 7th chapter... He's in the room with all these guys who are going, this Jesus ain't the Christ. And, and Nicodemus is going, shouldn't we at least listen to him? And immediately his peers turn on him and say, what? What? what do you, you think he's from Galilee? The, the, the Christ is from Galilee? They're kind of like indignant that one of their own would even start to believe such a crazy thing. Nicodemus, like many of us, starting far from Jesus and maybe just walking up. And I told you last week, Jesus has two, two simple words. He says, follow me. And those who dare, I'll follow you, start to walk after him, start to watch his life, start to study what he said, what he believed, the way he lived. All of a sudden, you start to get drawn in. And there's those around you who scoff and hear the Pharisees on there going, like, there's no way this is even close to truth. And Nicodemus' heart, you can see it here, is softening. He's like, man, I don't know, guys. I feel like we're on the wrong side of this one. He's scared. He's unsure, but he's open. That's the work of God in Nicodemus' life. And I ask you, as we always do when we enter into the word of God, that we pray before so for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Bible is like no other book on earth, and that is inspired word of God, that he spoke it into existence. It's his communication to us, and therefore, you should treat it like no other book in the world. When you enter into it, even if you don't believe, I would... would, I would advise you, if you are open to the concept of a God that's bigger than you can imagine, as you enter into the Word, just pray. God, reveal your truth to me today. Let's do that together. Father, as we open your Word already, the story of Nicodemus, uh, Father, I give you praise and thanks for your Word that is living and active and speaking right now, right here. And yet today, Father, we know it's your inspired Word and that the only hope we have to understand it is the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that this gift that you promised, this living water to be poured out on your people will be poured out now on us that we can even know because we know that all knowledge comes from you, all wisdom comes from you. And your word says if we, if we lack it, we ask. So Father, today help us to understand. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear like the disciples before what you were trying to teach us about this life. And I pray that in everything you're glorified. I pray that in everything we are brought to worship you more profoundly. And we thank you for that uh, gift in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so turn with me, if you would, to John 3 pick up where we left off last week. John 3, we're starting uh, again in verse 1. I didn't get the thing changed up there. We're actually going to read a little further, but I'm going to start reading while you flip there. I just want you to hear where we're at. So now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. And in response, Jesus declared, he declared this, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must, you all, remember, you all must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So Nicodemus says, How can this be? be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life and we're going to stop there in this passage today so here's jesus continuing continuous conversation with nicodemus but this the the, the core truth that jesus teaches in, in in john 3 here and it's a hard truth i told you this last week is that you all must be born again like, like, he just reinforces that with Nicodemus, you know. And we talked about that last week, so we're not going to go back into that. So then here in verse 9, uh, Jesus says, you should know these things if you're uh, Israel's teacher. Israel here, right? We think about the people group, but it's the people of God. And Jesus has some expectation that the people who are leading would know this truth about the kingdom, that you have to be born from above or are born again. But I want to move on. I want you to hear here what he says. He says, I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know. and We testify of what we've seen. But you people do not accept our testimony. Verse 12. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? I want to tell you something about the kingdom of God, about this new birth, being born again. You see, it's more than just a religious rule. I mean, it's not even a religious. It's more than just some kind of doctrinal thought we have. It's a reality of our experience with the creator God, that there is something that he must do on our behalf. We studied Ephesians before this, and Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions. That means you had no life before Christ. No life. As a matter of fact, Jesus teaches this really crazy principle to a man who says, "Let me go and bury my family." You know what Jesus says to that man who wants to go back? Jesus says, "Follow me." And the guy's like, "Let me bury my family, and I'll be right there." You know what he says about burying family? Let the what? Dead bury the dead. Wait a minute. You know, we always get hung up. We say, "Oh, it was kind of unfair of you, Jesus, to say that." But the dead's pretty mean spirited, right? But think about what he's saying. He's saying that there are people who are walking around burying one another who are dead. The buryers, not the buries. We know the buries are dead. We know we have a finite life here on earth. But those who are walking around burying others are dead. And Jesus says, let the dead, those who are moving about still, take care of burying the dead. But you follow me. Now, there's not some big teaching on don't go to funerals, don't bury people. That's crazy. But because Jesus, you know, he went to Lazarus, and we know the story of Christ. But there's this reality that that he separates life from death, and it's not at the point of our final breath. It's at the point of our first breath in the kingdom of God. Right? Jesus says you must be born again. And uh, this is a gift from God, not of yourselves. Right? And so here... He talks about this. Now here's what I want to share with you though. So this new birth is more than just like a theological consideration, but it has practical implications for our lives right now. Right? I want to remind you that when Jesus stood in the temple and he unrolled the scrolls and he read from the prophets, he said to the people who are gathered there, today this Prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing, right? They have been studying the prophecies of God for a long time, but the day that Jesus got up in the temple, it was his turn to read the scroll, and it was at that spot he's supposed to read. He read it, and he said, this is manifest among us today, right now, right here. And if you don't think it was controversial, people got upset with him because they like, who do you think this? They think he is, this Jesus. He knew exactly who he is. And so... There's a practical implication here. I'll tell you something else about it. Jesus begins, you know, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and this is what he says: the kingdom of heaven is what? Near. (laughs) It's like right here, guys. It's right now. And, and and there's this kind of movement in the church. And we can think about born again, you know, as this, you know, like, um, you know, you're, we always talk about your ticket's punched, you're ready to go. But there's some practical implications. And I, I hope you have eyes to see, but I'm telling you, God is working right now. A lot of the teaching that Jesus did about the kingdom of God was this. God has entrusted stuff to you. He's giving you time, talent, treasure, all those things, right? And that's your whole being. I mean, not just, I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about your very being, the effort, the strength in your muscles, your bones. He's given it to you right now. And he's proclaiming his kingdom is here right now. He's giving new birth right now. And he's asking, who's going with me? Practical implications for how we live our lives. I was reminded before service, we're, we're teaching a course here, Financial Peace University. We've taught it several times. And it's, it's a very practical study of the matter of money. People get really excited when you start telling them that God has a way you can manage money more effectively than figuring it out for yourself. You know what I mean? People get excited because it works. Who's surprised that God's ways work? Right? Um, and, and we had this kind of messed up. But there's a reality that um, we're, we're just teaching people what, what the word says. I threw that in because I want to say this. This, this um, tomorrow night, right? Monday night, um, we're doing this debt-free lesson. You know, the Bible says that the debtor is slave to the lender, and, and we're doing this debt-free lesson, and everyone's welcome to come. No charge, no catch, nothing. You guys can come to the office and check out this lesson on debt and just see what you think about it, you know. Um, we, you're welcome to come out and hang out with us this tomorrow night at the office. But all we're doing is teaching the practical implications of being a follower of Christ, how we handle our resources, how we choose to spend our time how we choose to invest our life. Jesus was all about the practical. He was all about what's happening right now, right? And, and he was about that because he saw the eternal consequences. He saw the long view of what God was doing. Look at what the Word says. I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, this is Jesus, we testify to what we have seen, but still you people, there's an other here, do not accept the testimony, you don't believe it. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. Isn't that interesting? I want to talk to you about a few miracles that Jesus did in his life, right? Some of the most amazing things, were like, wow, Jesus did that. You know what's crazy about the miracles Jesus did is that he would often do something that was far more profound first and people didn't believe he could do it. Do you remember the day that the man was brought in to be healed? And he said, your sins are forgiven, my son. Oh, you can't forgive sins. Who are you? And Jesus says this, so that you might believe that I have the power to forgive sins, I will say to this man, get up and walk. And this dude got up and walked away. Do you see the practical implications for his life was only alluding to an eternal reality of Jesus Christ. Here's the hard thing for us. If, if, if you don't know, like, we talk about taste and see the Lord is good, if you don't know the kingdom of God, if you don't know, if you're not in relationship with Jesus Christ, if you aren't, like, seeking Him in your life, you know, looking toward Him, you'll see that in your life. There's real results. It's pretty convicting stuff. I start to go to Jesus in prayer, and Jesus says, what are you doing with what I've already given you? <sighs> well, I don't know. Think about that first. See, kingdom living is about practical issues. It's not theology, it's not punching your stamps so that on that day by somehow, how miracle, whatever. It's about really, I mean, I'm telling you, do you hear me, church? This is hard stuff. He wants everything from you. And if you're like me, you negotiate, and you go, I'll give you this part, but not this part. And he's like, no, I'll take it all. And then we act as if we're losing something. Look at what Jesus says. I speak to you of earthly things and yet you don't believe. Look at the second half of the sentence. How then will you believe if I begin to speak to you about heavenly things? You see, this issue of being born again is about right now. He says you can't see the kingdom of God if you aren't born again. You can't know the things of God if you aren't born again. You can't taste and see that God is good if you aren't born again. And then he says, if you can't believe the practical implications, how will you ever believe the eternal consequences? If I were to talk to you of things of angels, you would have no understanding. We talked about that last week a little bit, about the reality of expecting a baby in the mom to do things that babies do after they're born. Doesn't make sense. Jesus says not only is um, there are practical implications, but there's eternal consequences for this life. There's a scary verse of Scripture that I, always, I, I just, and I don't do that, I don't do this to scare you, you know, but there's Jesus taught some really hard things. And one of the things that, there's some things that you ought to read in the Bible and go, what? You know what I mean? Like give you like gut check pause, it's like reality. And one is that he says, many will say to me on that day, that day, the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not do great things in your name? And you know what his response he says will be? I never knew you. I never knew you. He prizes His relationship with us over anything we could do, any response that we can give. He wants our hearts, our minds, our lives, our strength, and our soul. Jesus is seeking all of us. My question, you know, is, um, how is your faith working for you? I mean, in your real life, like, how is it really working for you? Is it, is it kind of just, you know is it fulfilling or is it just always lacking always wanting by the way i'll mention this that um, we've been doing something here at family bible called summer dedicated to christ we try to learn to share our faith more effectively and one of the cool things is that i love that what jesus says about his own ministry to the people as he says you can look at it right there he says we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen i love that we're not, we're not supposed to make up stuff about God that we haven't experienced of ourselves. We're not supposed to like tell tall tales and hope that people believe it, and we know it's not even true of our own hearts and minds. But yet Jesus uses people right where they are with him to confess, to testify, to tell the truth about what we've experienced in Jesus Christ. It's a gift, and we just bear witness to the giver. And so that's all of the harder our call is. But here's the thing. See, being born again has eternal, eternal consequences The question becomes pretty pragmatic if you think about it. The question is this I'm gonna ask you a hard question, you guys ready? Are you guys ready for a hard question? Because there's this whole thing of like the you know the the ticket punching theology, you know, that you're gonna get to heaven, like that's your hope. And you're just gonna hang on here and live like it doesn't matter at all and that God isn't even real because you got somehow you know in a camp or whatever you went forward and that happened and you're pretty sure, maybe hopefully, maybe someday or whatever. Here's here's the thing. How can you trust God? for all eternity. And this is the hard one, if you can't trust him right now. And this is like a bottom of the valley kind of a question. But like, how can you trust God forever if you can't trust him right now? I have a brother-in-law who's called in the ministry, and he's struggling, and he asked that question, not of his own life, but he asked that question of people. He says, how do we act as if God's going to do something later that we don't think he's going to do right now for us? H- how can we believe that God is going to rescue us later when He, when he don't know that he's rescuing us right this moment? I think we're lying to ourselves if we believe that it's, it's only going to come later and not right now. So here's, here's the next thing we're going to talk about here. Um, there's another, I'm just getting you all these scary passages of scripture, because I want you to understand, I'm not trying to like terrify or anything like that, but here's the thing, you know, the gospel of Jesus says that we'll either be born twice, or we'll die twice, right? And, and here we've heard in John 3, that Jesus says, you must be born again, born from heaven, and there's this passage, and it's a couple places in the gospel, but I'm going to read it to you from, um, the gospel of Luke, and it's going to be in, uh, Luke 12, 4 and 5. You don't have to turn there, but you can if you want to. You can see this in your Bible just like it's in mine. Luke 12, 4 and 5, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that can do no more. You know, a lot of times we see people going out and serving God, we go all oh, to taking risks, risk, right? They could die, things could go wrong. But this is what Jesus says about taking risks with God. He says, I tell you the truth, don't be afraid of the one who can kill your body and after that can do nothing, but I will tell you whom you should fear. Fear the one who after killing your body has the power to cast you into hell. Yeah, I tell you, fear that one. You see, we're not comfortable fearing anything, Right? I mean, we, 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 you know, and, and there's passages in the Bible where it says perfect love drives out all, what, fear? That's right. But you have to know some first. I'm afraid some of us are walking around, and, and we, don't, we don't even, you know, we're not believing that God is holy. We're not believing he has a second death power. We're not believing. And Jesus himself says, oh, wait a minute. You want to fear somebody? Fear God, not men. And then perfect love drives out all fear. You're in a relationship. I know you. I know this one. As a matter of fact, if you want to look it up, you can. It's in Revelations, where Jesus, or where um, the the revelation to John says that um, the second death is that being cast into hell. That that's a real thing. That there will be people who will really be raised again to only be cast into hell. And I would not be honest with you if I didn't preach that that's the truth. It's in Revelation 21, verses 6 and 8. And so there's this line between having no fear in life and and being foolish, right? I don't mean foolish in like the ways of the world. I mean foolish before the holy God. So there's the proposition in a way. We turn Jesus' gospel offer into a propositional statement. It's probably a little unfair, but here's the truth. You will either be born twice or you will die twice. That ought to strike a little fear in our hearts. We ought to want to, what, repent and believe in Jesus Christ. The last thing I'm going to share you with this, uh, from you from the Scripture is this. So after Jesus teaches... I have spoken to you the earthly things and you do not believe. Verse 13, no one has ever gone to heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And then here's the last thing he says. This is right before John 3.16, right? So let's just get that straight. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him might have eternal life. I'm going to tell you today, your only hope, your only hope to survive, to have life, and that's lifting up Jesus Christ. Like, that is the only hope that we have. Lifting up Jesus. If you've never studied the Bible before, I would encourage you to do so. It's not real hard. Check it out. When you see something like this, just go look it up and see what it says. Then the book of Numbers, and again, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but I want to I read it just so you can hear this story. But here's the story of Moses and he's with the people of God in the desert. And I want you to hear what happens in their hearts, you know, that, that we have to glorify Christ. This is what it says. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go to Ad, around Edom. But the people grew, listen, impatient along the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt, that's slavery, to die here in the desert? Remember the tent of the tents, tabernacles? There is no bread here, there is no water, my favorite line, and we hate this miserable food. <laughs> You're giving me nothing to eat. And by the way, the stuff you're giving us to eat really stinks. Then the Lord went. And sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and this, many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, "We have sinned and spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us." Now listen to what happens. Hear these snakes, right? They're they're nipping at their heels. People are dying around. It's a real deal. They know it's God. He's sending the snakes. Do you know that that happens in your life sometimes? Like He will get our attention, and He will send things that will start to attack us, so we're desperate for Him. And you know, when they come, they say, "Go to God and pray, so that these." snakes be taken from us so moses prayed and this is what the lord said make a snake snake and put it on a pole and anyone who's been bitten can now look up at the pole and live so moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole and when anyone bitten was bitten by a snake and looked at this bronze snake that one that one lived they lived Jesus refers to this scripture when he says, just like Moses has to lift up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man, what? Must be lifted up so that those, what? Who believe in him, here's the word, may have, what? Eternal life. Jesus, not yet crucified, proclaiming about himself what's coming. He must be lifted up. I will say to you this morning that this is what Jesus, the cross, is about. It's about glorification of the Father. It's about paying for a price we cannot pay. But here's the thing. It's doubly true. It's true that we have to, he had to be raised up so we could have forgiveness for our sins, but he has to be raised up in our life so we might have eternal life. You know what I think of? I think, if you've ever been to a service where they carry, I don't have one, but if you, they carry in that cross on the stick, you ever seen one of those? I was going to make my own but I thought it might be a little sacrilegious. And you have to look up and remember. And maybe right now in your life, like those snakes are biting, maybe people are dying, maybe things that are really happening, the practical implications, and you go, oh, where's my hope in all this? Where am I going to look to? Who will save us from this cursed generation? And then we turn our eyes, and this is our call, church. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. The only hope we have of surviving is this new birth in him. And so uh, I'm not sure where you are today. I want to invite you. And I'm telling you what, I know some of you are here today and you're saying, this ain't for me. Man, this is for other people. Uh, You don't know me or whatever. I'm telling you, God knows you. And that's why the cross is enough for you. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me. If you've never believed in Jesus Christ before, today you can believe. If it's the simple words as him saying, follow me, and you go, I will, that's today for you. And if the thing is that the snakes are biting and you're like, there's no way, I want to tell you that today the word says, lift your eyes to Jesus Christ, and he will save you, he will deliver you, and he will pour his spirit out on you. Join me in prayer. Father God, today as we've been in your house expanding and looking upon your word for our instruction for our life, I pray, Father God, that your Holy Spirit will be working in our hearts and minds here. That you, you know, you say today's the day. Today's the day for your people. I pray, Father, that you would be doing your work in their lives. And I pray, oh, in my heart, Father, that if there are those who don't think it's for me, it's for, it's, you know, I, I just pray that you would do a miracle, to move our hearts from this place of obstinance and non-belief. We're hopelessly lost without you. But today, Father God, I pray that you would work a miracle in that heart, that they would know that new birth, that first breath, that kingdom come, that is so good. And in everything, I pray that your church would continue to look to you. May we not become... You know, hard-hearted and obstinate and forgetting what you've delivered us from. Help us to remember this birth we've been given. Today, Father, I pray and trust you for the work. I pray that you would do it, not because of us or anything that do what we've done, but in the mighty name of Jesus, who came to set captives free? May you do that work today. We ask in His name. Amen.